pieces of this thing. I would actually land on a day and stay on it. I, I can't seem to do that based on the intrusions, if you want to call it that, of life and everything else. So instead of saying welcome to Friday, I get to say welcome to the weekend. And this is Dr. Ray Mitch, your host of Love You Later by the podcast, the Psych Monologues. <clears throat> and I, uh, I have a, a topic that probably is going to take me some time to talk about um, and maybe a couple different episodes here, partly because uh, one of the classes that I'm teaching this fall is on shame and grace. And the reality of this is, is that it actually connects up with the discussion around grief and loss, uh, partly because of, of, you know, how we handle our loss is always, um, at least to our estimation, or at least how it feels to us, um, in view of other people. And, and so even though people may be offering us a lot of um, grace around that, we still are comparing what our loss process or our grief process looks like according to some standard that we have in our head. Usually, we rarely, if ever, conform to it. So <clears throat> um, I, I, I want to take some time to, to talk about grace and how distorted this concept is. I, as I was thinking about uh, firing up the mic and, and doing this today, um, this has been in my heart and in my mind for all week because I've been talking about it. And like I said, I, I think it does connect up with loss. And maybe I can loop back around and, and um, uh, talk about that toward the end of our time together today. Um, but I, the, the, the thing that kind of caught my attention, I started, I, there's a song that kept going through my head. Uh, and maybe maybe you're familiar with it. It's a Hillsong United song uh, that is entitled "Good Grace." And you know, I the the world in my head is a little jacked up sometimes. And I I was listening to the song. Our, our church sings it a fair amount of times. And I was listening to the song and and hearing the 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 bridge that was part of it. And it was. Um, you know, repeat the sound, all his children, clean hearts, pure, or, or clean hands, pure hearts, good grace, good God. And the thought occurred to me, I wonder if there's ever such a thing as bad grace. And the more I've thought about it, and even the more I've, I've kind of taught it this week, and, and each time I teach something, it never is the same, partly because I'm not the same, um, in terms of what I'm actually teaching. And it, as I've been thinking about this, I think there is. I think actually we can distinguish between good grace and bad. The problem is the distortion that we have around grace. And I think it's related to the same distortion we have around forgiveness and what exactly that means. And I'm not I'm not going to plunge into that particular subject today, but Grace, to me, and, and I've seen this over and over again, actually I've seen it um, get more and more distorted over the years that I've been teaching and over even over the time that I've spent in, in, in counseling people, is that 
this this concept of grace is really very very distorted and for particularly for Christians because it's the cornerstone of our faith right I mean we you know Paul talks about in Ephesians that that the the gift of grace that is given to us freely so that nobody can boast that they've earned it or that they've transacted with God something to be able to get it and and that's what I think has happened and has distorted what Philip Yancey refers to as the last good word. Our, our language and our culture even is shot through with the word grace. I, I There's a favorite phrase that I've used many times uh, in my family or when somebody's done something and, and the word is persona non grata. Well, that word in Latin, I believe, is person without grace so they they've lost or fallen from grace and so this is embedded in our understanding but we it's gotten so diluted and distorted that we we kind of play around with it like a a get out of jail card free particularly no fee included so get out of a jail free card instead of what it really is <clears throat> now let me let me clarify for a second what is it really is is would be the natural follow-up to that statement i made a minute ago and uh, let me let me just qualify something first of all first and foremost <laughs> and that is i'm not i'm not making any attempt here to define grace in theological terms i want to talk about it in practical terms not only in terms of uh, how it applies to me, with me, but also how it applies to me with others. Now, I think it has to be said, applying it to others or offering it to others is way, way, way easier than it is to offer it to myself. Because I, I think that's part of, I think, where some of this distortion has come from is that we the the idea of being gracious with ourselves is is the equivalent of settling for mediocrity or settling for uh not moving somewhere you know if if i give myself some grace when i stumble on whatever the issue might be in my life i i it's like i'm saying well i'll just excuse it this time and that way then i really don't have to do anything about it the reality is 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 that the the grace that is spoken of in scripture is so incredibly powerful because it is connected to our freedom and freedom is kind of a two it not kind of it is a two-edged sword on the one hand i have the freedom to not do something and at the same time i also have the freedom to do something and it isn't freedom if i don't have both choices because otherwise you know, I, I, and I've seen this and I've heard it and I probably have said it when I say to somebody, you're free to choose what you want. But in most people's minds, when they hear that word, hear that phrase, they say, yeah, not really. Because you're expecting something of me, speaking of me from the other person's perspective, you're, you're expecting something from me. And I, I've got to define what that expectation is and then hit that expectation in order to get the grace that you say you're offering me or the freedom you're offering me. But see, that's not freedom at all, really. 
and and ultimately, I think in a lot of ways, we will find out what whether or not we are offering freedom to somebody when they choose something we don't want them to choose. Now that doesn't mean they suffer; they don't suffer consequences. It doesn't mean that at all. And see, that's the other kind of dark—I don't know if you'd call it that—but dark secret of grace is that grace and freedom are linked. And when that happens, then consequences and action are linked. And grace doesn't mean it doesn't mean saving somebody from the consequences of their behavior. Case in point is King David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. If you read Psalm 51 and a broken and contrite heart, which David refers to, and in a sense, the grace that has been offered to him by God in forgiveness, but he still suffered consequences. The baby still died. See, somehow we get this notion in our heads that grace means saving me from the consequences. And I, I honestly, I just don't believe that that's the case. Actually, it's probably more loving to have someone that we love suffer consequences for the choices they make. Now, that doesn't mean I want to engineer anything. Or it doesn't mean that I stand aloof and say, well, you know, you're just getting what you deserve. That is not what I'm saying at all. Because the reality is, is how many of us have suffered consequences for our actions and we have the utmost empathy for when somebody makes a bad choice and things go south and they pay a consequence. That really, that, that really is a bummer. I mean, I, I, I think I probably could go even farther and say that just really sucks. At the same time, when I do that, there is a, an immense opportunity to learn. But if grace is not part of the picture, I will not learn. If I do something wrong, I suffer consequences, and shame is on the doorstep, then it will be saying to me, see, you are what you've always been. You will keep doing what you've always done. There's nothing that's going to change here. So resign yourself to the life that you will lead from here on out. But that's not the voice of grace. The, the voice of grace is saying, here's an opportunity to learn. And I, I will walk, kind of the voice of grace, I will walk with you and create this space so that you can learn and have the freedom to try again. See, shame shuts that down. Now, that doesn't mean we won't try again, but it does shut it down. So I, I wanted to, to, to underline this point. I wanted to, uh, to, to read you a, a quote from Brennan Manning in the Ragamuffin Gospel that really kind of stood out to me and I've used over and over again. And, and it goes this way. He says, justification by grace through faith, in quotes, is the theologian's learned phrase for what Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton, once called the furious love of God. Though lip service is paid to the gospel of grace, many Christians live as if only personal discipline and self-denial will mold the perfect me. The emphasis is on what I do rather than on what God is doing. Brennan Manning. And see, we so easily lapse into a transactional mindset that we forget about that what we have been given is a gift and we should we we should strive to treat it that way. 
I don't I can't take credit for the gift, but I certainly can use it to create the space for me to to change. And that's what grace is uh, is is so powerful to make possible. Uh, another quote that that I have um, mentioned to my students this year this uh, semester is from the theologian Richard Niebuhr, who says the great Christian revolutions come not by the discovery of something that was not known before. They happen when somebody takes radically something that was always there. See, the case in point here is Martin Luther. Before Martin Luther discovered justification by grace and, and had the, the uh, kind of the giddy experience of experiencing grace through, through his study of Romans, grace was still around the church even did what brennan talked about they still did the lip service about grace and everything but it luther and and this is just one example but martin luther actually took it at the face value of what of what it was and applied it in radical ways and he became at that point in time in the holy roman empire or uh, namely the church he became the da- most dangerous man in the world because he was free and that's that's the remarkable thing about that about grace and and how it operates because we shame is the the, the voice of transaction and grace is the voice of freedom freedom to love and pursue obedience to love and pursue uh, the things that draw me closer to a relationship with Jesus, but not not the the beating the snot out of myself and making it so aversive that the only way to, that I will get into relationship with Jesus is to avoid the shame that is coming at me if I don't do it. I, I, I think that cheapens the relationship. I mean, it's not a choice. It's just a, a avoidance more than anything else. So I, the, getting back to that, so when I, you know, am often asked, you know, in, not in the theological sense, but what is grace anyway, uh, the, the couple different things come to mind, and that is that grace actually is the beginning of change, of healing, because it offers the one thing we need the most to change, and that is being accepted without regards to whether or not we're acceptable. See, acceptance is, is a core concept in embracing grace. And Brennan used to say always, and, and I have repeated it often, is God loves you as you are, not as you should be, because you're never going to be what you should be. Should is a, is a vapor. It's a, a, a standard that can't possibly ever be met. So grace creates this space for freedom, which we've been talking about. It creates a space to learn a new response. Now, remember, let's let's just review, kids. Learning isn't doing it perfectly the first time. If you watch any kid learning to ride a bike or learning, you know, the alphabet or learning anything at all, there are loads and loads and loads of mistakes at the front end. And you know the interesting thing about that? is that learning happens almost more profoundly with mistakes than success. 
All you have to do is refer to your pencil. <laughs> your pencil has an eraser on it. Most pencils have erasers on it. Why? Because we're planning on making a mistake. And we actually have this miracle thing called an eraser that I can erase the mistake and try again. You see, the, when we think of the idea of learning a new response, we want to bypass all the practice that is riddled with mistakes and get to the per perfection part. We want perfection without practice and perfection without error and mistakes. And yet, my ability to actually strive for excellence lies in the making of the mistakes. I'm not saying, again, let me clarify, I am not saying I delight in making mistakes. I'm not. And see, when, when people listen to me say that kind of stuff, that's where our heads go. You know, I, I, our heads go to the extreme and we start to, to argue from the extreme. So what you're saying is, Dr. Mitch, <clears throat> what you're saying is, is that we should be happy that we make mistakes. No, I'm not saying that at all. I should, I'm still striving for excellence. <clears throat> but it brings us back to the word acceptance. Am I willing to accept that I'm making mistakes, learn from them, and try something different? You know, I, I would refer to you. We're, this weekend, we're, we're starting, and there's a lot of excitement around NFL football starting up, and, and um, I, I've seen numerous notifications of ACC football starting up and some other ones. And if you watch any game, any game at all, whatever, no matter the sport, ultimately the winner it, it makes less mistakes. doesn't mean they don't make any. They make less mistakes than the, than the team that loses. But see, we don't live life that way. We live life as if I should not be making any mistakes. And if I make mistakes, it's, it is a catastrophe. And I should be punished for making those mistakes. And, and, and then we go on about our business or we dust ourselves off or you know, we, we resign ourselves to what a loser I am or a failure I am. And see, notice those words are personal descriptions, not, not descriptions of performance. And that's key, a personal description versus a description of performance. That's why so many athletes that are of in the excellence category spend a lot of time wa watching tape, also their mistakes. And it doesn't bum them out. It's disappointing, obviously, if you lose, but it doesn't bum them out because they learn how to adjust their behavior next time. It's not about their person. It is about their performance. And that's really a part of this. The other thing that Grace does that I, I want to just take a few more minutes to talk about, and that is it actually opens the window for us to learn more about ourselves. See, I can't change what I won't accept. And if I'm not much in the, the camp of accepting myself, just like Brennan said, as I am, then I probably will not be in the camp of knowing much about myself. See, the, the, the enemy of, of, um, change, of staying the same is self-reflection. 
See, if I self-reflect and I begin to look at and understand the mistakes that I make and the things that I wrestle with and I, I keep doing things over again and not getting them quite right and everything else, I can, I, I can take one of two paths. I can take the path of hum, humility or humbleness to say, you know, I, I'm not sure I really like being human. And so instead of rejecting my humanity, I live within it and still seek excellence or I reject and deny my humanity and demand a standard that I can't possibly meet and then live in resignation and depression and all the other kind of resulting emotions that people oftentimes will have disappointment. So grace creates this space for us to learn about ourselves to learn new ways of behaving and actually creates the space for freedom and and that we all know intuitively we all know that learning happens the best and most efficiently under the conditions of freedom not under the conditions of of coercion and control it 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 doesn't you're not going to learn anything you'll comply and I think in a lot of cases, even in our Christian walk, we, we have lived, lived that way. It's, it's about compliance. It's not about relationship. And that relationship motivating me to change my behavior so I can get closer and closer in relationship to God and others, too. I mean, all of these lessons are the same with others as well as it is with God. So there, there always is, is that that we, I think we have to pay attention to. The other one is, is just how do we experience grace? And, and it, we oftentimes will experience it in a couple of different ways. One, experiencing it as a pardon. So the, the freedom to, to, to not live in guilt the rest of my life or the rest of my days with what I've done and punishing myself over it. But as I've been saying before, and I'm not going to repeat it again, but I will mention it, and that is we experience grace as acceptance, and that's the answer to shame. That's why I say that the antidote to shame is grace. But that chasm or that journey to from the one to the other is really pretty arduous, and a lot of us are not convinced that it's worth it because behavior doesn't change fast enough. See, the dirty little secret is shame does change behavior. It does. It does. But it leaves you in a, in a cycle of, of resignation and despair and disappointment. And before too long, you, you just kind of can't stay there anymore. So you just go back to doing stuff all over again. And, and the pattern repeats. And that's... The biggest difference is that experiencing grace as acceptance is my answer to how embedded and interwoven and woven in shame is to my ways of thinking. And with some self-reflection, I might actually see what that looks like. The other thing I'll mention is that we experience grace as power it gives a it is an energizing force once i begin to understand the freedom that's being offered me or the freedom that i can embrace then it it actually energizes me and gives me the power to move 
to discover more and more of, of my true self, which I would say is not a selfish act because my true self lies in Christ and my identity with Christ. So my ability to accept grace moves me toward and gives me the power to actually know myself better and that self lies in my relationship with Christ. Uh, the last one is that we experience grace as gratitude. It actually lays the foundation for being surprised by grace, or which is a, a, a book title that runs through my head. So it gives us a sense of how what kind of gift it actually is and how lavish, like G.K. Chesterton called it, the furious love of God. Brennan referred to it as the relentless tenderness of Jesus. And those things are the very things that draw us and empower us and free us to, to uh, be changed people. Over time, growth takes time. You know, the, the instantaneous change, you, we may want to look at that and say, that's indeed, that's the way to go. Um, make the changes move toward things but you know inevitably in all the times that I've spent talking to addicts it's not if they relapse it's when and that same thing is true for all of us it's not if I'm going to make a mistake but when and then the next question is is what am I going to do with that mistake that I've made and sometimes I mean I make a relational mistake and I need to repent of it and I need to confess to the person that I've harmed in that regard and own up, you know, we say own up to it um, and, and and seek to make the changes that I need to make. I mean, the, the word repentance in Scripture has really kind of two words connected to it. In Hebrew, it's called teshuva. And, and the other word in Greek that we're more uh, uh, familiar with is metanoia, changed mind. But I think if you add them all together and even look at the picture of the prodigal, what you see is teshuva and metanoia, which Jesus knew. Jesus knew the audience he was talking to. And it wouldn't be lost on uh, the, the Jews in the audience, the Hebrews that were listening to him, about the, the prodigal son coming to his senses, metanoia, and returning home, teshuva which is a very, very complete picture of what repentance looks like. His father was offering him forgiveness, but the son came with repentance. And those reciprocal processes and relationships are what results in reconciliation. And that's, that's, that's a whole other uh, discussion for perhaps another day. So grace is... is, is probably one of the more distorted concepts in in our faith in spite of the fact that it is the centerpiece of our faith we turn it into a transactional um, uh, uh, situation with God in other words what can I trade for it in order to uh, earn this grace that you've given me the the gift that you've given me and I I would just challenge my listeners to to take note and watch and see what, uh, based on how you behave and how you deal with yourself, what exactly does grace mean in your life? Not so much how we define it, but how do we live it out and live it out for our, toward ourselves and obviously toward others. 
next time around, I want to take that that uh, idea and uh, shape it even more in terms of grace with ourselves and grace with others. It seems like we're so much we do the grace with others so much easier than it does it, we do with ourselves. So we'll talk about that next time. A couple of reminders at the end here. One is. Um, uh, to subscribe to my website at drmitch.com, M-I-T-S-C-H.com, and uh, that will keep you up to date when new podcasts drop. Uh, if you're interested and want to put an app on your phone and follow follow me on uh, Podbean, you can do raymitch.podbean.com, and you'll find the, the landing page for the podcast. Uh, and and uh, subscribe there as well. Uh, it, it'll come up on your phone the minute a new podcast gets released. Uh, apparently, we're going to be talking about either Friday or Saturday or Sunday. Hopefully not Sunday. Um, but I, it, it's going to be once a week. That's what I'm striving to do. Uh, it may be a moving target here for a while in terms of the busyness of the fall semester and so forth. So those two things in particular. And then lastly, I, I would uh, prayerfully ask you to consider partnering with us to to uh, put together a, a, a GoFundMe site to, uh, uh, well, we have a GoFundMe site live on the website under the drop-down for CCU down to Silent Retreats to be able to create a fund to send students on a silent retreat during their time at CCU. It's a prime opportunity and a prime time of their lives to learn about silence and solitude and I would, uh, we continue to need partners uh, to fundraise for this so that we can um, send more and more students. That would certainly be the, the hope. Of course, under the conditions of, of COVID and everything else, we've had to limit the number of people to go uh, in the fall. We don't know what spring will bring, but, but uh, Lord willing, we will have a fall retreat. It's still teetering on the edge as to whether or not we'll we'll be able to do it or not we're trying to work through plans for that in the background and and uh, hopefully we will be able to carry it off so those are the three things uh to to keep on your radar the website and podbean and then also the the um, uh, silent retreat uh, gofundme site so thanks so much for joining me enjoy your weekend and as always love you later Bye.